is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. We are your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. We've got another uh, great episode for you today, or I'm calling it great. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a really interesting one, actually. We are going to be covering James Edwards today. And once again, not James Edwards, the Pistons beat writer, but James Edwards, the uh, Pistons center from the late 80s, early 90s, part of the Bad Boys championship teams. Uh, I try. I just call him Buddha. I, I think Buddha. maybe confuse people less if we just called him Buddha Edwards. Because nope, we're not people, going to actually do that. I'm just saying. Then people will think that we're we're like starting a Buddhist podcast. This is now a Bo- Buddhist and beyond is what we're going to start calling this show. Uh, but no, yeah, we're. Uh, you know, it's funny. I actually asked James, our James, not this James. I asked James if he could come on for a couple minutes just to talk about this, but. He uh, it, with media week and everything happening, he's obviously way too busy for that. Totally understandable. Uh, well, let's talk about that for a second before we get into James Edwards, our our uh, our topic today. It was media week for the Pistons today, not today, this week, and they are actually playing their first preseason game on Sunday. Are you yeah, going to watch it? Well, against the Phoenix Suns, who I can pretty much guarantee you won't have all of those uh, all-stars in uniform. They may have one. They may have two. Uh, preseason, I, I think everybody uh, is excited and pissed in land about preseason. And that's generally what happens when you have a young team that didn't accomplish much. And But they're young, so that gives you hope that over the offseason they're going to improve dramatically and you're going to get a better outcome the following season. Uh, we now have the added bonus of Kate Cunningham, who missed basically all of last season uh, with the shin surgery, and everybody's excited to see what he's uh, what he can become because he is, for all intents and purposes, the franchise. So I, I think there might be a little bit too much expectation placed on this preseason because in the end it doesn't actually matter. But I I, th- I just think fans are looking forward to getting a glimpse of. Uh, what this team could possibly look like this season. Yes, I uh, will not be watching the game for obvious reasons. I'll be covering the Detroit Lions that day. Uh, but I look forward to watching the the replay. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for this team. Uh, I, I like everything that Monty Williams has, has to say. And uh, Cade looks ready, like he's ready to go. Everybody looks ready, like they're ready to go. Uh, Joe Harris doesn't give a shit. Uh, he's not going to bitch and bitch and moan or whatever it was that he said. Uh, he's, he doesn't care. He's just here to help. Got to love that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what this team is going to do. Um, uh, one thing I'm really excited about is the possibility that Valley sports could be coming back to YouTube TV this year after, well, they just, let's just say they had a really, really bad year, uh, and went, they went through uh, bankruptcy and apparently it was released earlier this week that they are trying to get back onto the app. So I'm really hoping that happens because I'm not paying $20 a month again. Yeah. Living down here in the, the Charlotte area, 
it's never really been an issue for me because league pass, I can get all Pistons games, except for the few games here where they play the Hornets, uh, which Bally Sports is plentiful down here. Bally uh, Sports Southeast is the one that has the Hornets rights. But yeah, I, I do hear the complaints on Pistons Twitter constantly that they can't actually get the games locally because they have YouTube TV. And I, I can't imagine uh, the frustration level uh, that those fans must be feeling. Well, you know, the 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 bad part about it was I did pay for the Bally Sports app, and a lot of the time it didn't work. And, I mean, obviously I wound up canceling about halfway through the season because it dawned on me that I I don't want to pay $20 for the worst team in the league. I don't, I don't, I just can't, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. Uh, so I started streaming it like illegally, like most, most Pistons fans probably did this past season, but uh, yeah, I'm really interested. I guess the, the only thing to be concerned about is Bally actually has to pay the teams to stay with them. And if they don't, then I don't know what happens then. Everything kind of goes into limbo at that point. I, where, where are the games going to be shown? Well, any- there are already some NBA teams that are, had already cut ties with their Belly Sports affiliate. I, yes. I try to remember, is it the Utah Jazz? Uh, uh, at least, I know that at least one or two are doing their own thing where they're just streaming the games for free. Okay. Well, as, as far as I know, uh, according to the report I read earlier this week from Wall Street Journal, only one team has been paid by Bally Sports, and that's the Pelicans. Oh, God. Well, the Pelicans of all teams. Yeah, and the season starts in less less than a month. So I guess we'll see what happens. I don't know. Look, look millions of, well, maybe, maybe millions might be pushing it, but a lot of people have paid for NBA League Pass already. I would, the, the I would do it if I could plan. watch. I promise you the NBA has a plan, a contingency plan, in case Bally Sports uh, goes belly up. And okay. then they and they just lose the rights. Fans have paid to have the right to watch all of these games. There will be a plan in place. Uh, really? Um, oh, man, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, I, I just know that if, oh, I would pay for League Pass if they showed market in-market games, but they don't, yeah. which is but still the, ticket. They, the dumbest they thing to me. Absolutely won't. Well, I think it's a, maybe it's a marketing thing or an advertising Look, the genesis of this way, way back in the day, because when the Pistons, I don't know if you remember um, past sports, uh, Detroit, uh, back in the 90s and early 80s. Okay, so and the the Los Angeles uh, area had something similar called um, Prime Ticket, where it was this cable station that uh, tried to fill in the gaps where the local affiliate wasn't able to televise uh, the home team's games. But they only here's the, the the catch was when they started they only broadcast games on the road, uh, because it was considered if you if you broadcast a home game, then what reason would fans have to go to pay for a, a ticket to go to the arena? So if you look at all of the old uh, Pistons games like the the ones in the eighties on on pass, almost okay. all of them are on the road. They're not. Excuse me. They're almost all of them are are local because what Passports was. And Sunday ticket in LA meant you paid for the premium and that offset the cost of you not buying a ticket for the game. The, I, what I meant to say was the local affiliate, the free affiliate, like George Blaha on, on like um, WKBD, he would almost exclusively do the road games in the early to mid 80s. 
they very rarely would they do home games. Well, I was trying to find uh, some the list of nationally televised games for the Pistons this year, but it's apparently uh, impossible to do that. So I, I guess we'll we'll come back to that at a different time. Uh, but anyways, let's uh, let's get into uh, let's get into our main topic. Let's go all the way back to the 1970s with uh, with Washington, the University of Washington, the Huskies, James Edwards. And so James Edwards, a Pacific Northwest kid, uh, grew up in Seattle. So, of course, uh, being a very good uh, high school basketball player, uh, very tall, seven foot, uh, he went to the University of Washington. Uh, University of Washington, like the rest of the PAC, uh, I think they were the PAC-8 conference, he said back then, uh, they were basically just chumps for UCLA in the, in the 1970s. So the Washington didn't have a whole lot of success, but Edwards did prove himself three-year starter at Washington out of his four seasons. Uh, junior season averaged 18 and seven. Uh, his senior season in college uh, averaged 21 points, 10 rebounds, which is the only time in his entire life, I think, that he ever averaged 10 rebounds. Uh, he was an All-American that season. And while he did slip to the third round of the NBA draft uh, in 1977, I think we have to put that in context because he was still the 46th overall pick, which today is a mid-second rounder. Uh, how many? How many rounds? If can you remember how many rounds there were in the uh, in the 1977 draft? I want to say seven or eight. I it was seven for a very very long time. Yeah, I, I mean I, they were double digits for a while, but maybe ten, maybe. There was, yeah, I, I don't know. There was so many that they don't even list all of them on the Wikipedia page. Eight rounds. There were eight 170 rounds. total selections. the first time. In yeah. Eight rounds, yep. That's insane. I'm, I'm so glad they don't do that anymore. Oh, well, actually, part of me thinks that they should do that now. now but again, I understand there, was, there, there were so few teams in the league, 170 picks. That's like, it's still a lot, but that's like five rounds today. I, I I think that if you were to do that, you could make some of these selections and send them right to your G League team. So maybe maybe I, those I rounds would be not a bad idea. And you get international players, uh, more international I, look, players drafted. If we went to a, a true minor league system in the NBA uh, where you could draft players uh, in the later rounds and shuttle them directly to your minor league system and they wouldn't get NBA rights until they were ready to play – like they do in baseball, then yeah, I, I could see maybe a third or even a fourth round uh, being good for the NBA draft. Uh, but short of that, it's just a waste of time. It, it, an average of, of 40 players really out of the draft each year make uh, an NBA career for themselves. So you're essentially two, one third of the, of the draft class from each season uh, really doesn't make it in the NBA. And that's just two rounds. So if you expand it to a third round, I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. Um, well, all right. He gets selected by the Los Angeles Lakers. He shows up. Uh, he's the he's the backup to, you know, maybe one of the top five greatest centers, maybe top five greatest players of all time in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In his prime. In his prime. They uh they go on to play the Milwaukee Bucks and just a few minutes into the game, Kareem breaks his hand, and yeah. next thing you know, James is the starter for twenty one games. 
breaks his hand, uh, punching future piston Kent Benson. Uh, he he took a rather cheap shot uh, to the gut uh, on a stray elbow, which was very intentional if you look at the play. And Kareem, I would say, overreacted just a little bit. Uh, just sucker punches him square in the face. And, well, you might say Kent Benson deserved that. Uh, Kareem broke his hand, like you said, and was forced to miss the next 20 games. So that didn't end well for Kareem either. But yeah, uh, James Edwards, lucky to be in the NBA as a third-round pick. All of a sudden, he's the starting center for the LA Lakers like four minutes into his rookie season. Uh, and, and it's incredible because he plays really, really well. Uh, as a starter, he's averaging over 17 points a game uh, in the games that he filled in for Kareem uh, as a rookie. And... He was, I think, I'm pretty sure he led the Lakers in scoring during that time. But what happened was Kareem came back uh, eventually, and the Lakers, they didn't really have a controversy or dilemma. It's, it's obviously Kareem's going to start, he comes back, right? But now he, you have James Edwards, uh, who is now, he's seen around the league as a very productive young uh, rookie that's about to be sitting behind a guy that averages 40-some minutes a game. And they can't play them together, so what are they going to do? And the answer within a couple of weeks becomes pretty clear because the Lakers trade James Edwards uh, for another very uh, promising young player in Adrian Dantley. Uh, and they send him to Indiana. It's kind of interesting that he's connected to somebody who's going to be his former teammate, or not former, future teammate uh, here with this trade. And uh and as we both know, and we'll get to it soon, this isn't the first time he's going to be connected with somebody he's going to wind up being a teammate with. But tell us about his time in, with the Pacers. So his time with the Pacers, which is really three and a half seasons, uh, the end of 78 through 1981. Uh, statistically, they're probably his most impressive of his career, even though Indiana wasn't very good. Uh, averaging almost 16 points, a little over seven rebounds, which again – uh, career high for him, 7.5 rebounds. James Edwards, and this is probably uh, a good time for me to get into the description of James Edwards' game. Uh, James Edwards, uh, set seven foot one, uh, may, might have actually been taller, a very, very tall guy, uh, built pretty well, uh, extremely athletic for his height, uh, very mobile. Very poor rebounder, and that's putting it nicely. And he kind of got a reputation as a very soft defender. Uh, but this is what he did have, other than his uh, physical agility at, at seven foot one. He had one of the most unstoppable low post fades uh, in NBA history. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Uh, with his height, with his long arms, uh, with his ability to get off the ground with his upper body strength, he, he was built to post up and shoot fadeaways. I, I am not, this is not a joke. This is just what he did. It is what he did for almost 20 years in the NBA. He would get the ball on the block. Sometimes he would be able to spin off. Uh, if his defender was playing him for the fadeaway, he would be able to spin off balance, uh, and get a little scoop shot around the rim. But for the most part, for the most part, uh, if, if you saw the ball thrown to James Edwards on the block, what you would see immediately after was him turn and jump a hilariously long distance away from the rim 
and shoot a fadeaway. And it was almost unblockable un- unless you got someone coming from the weak side to block it from behind. If, if he, you were the guy who was posting up, you were not touching his shot ever. And James Edwards made a career out of this for multiple decades. Uh, he was that good uh, at what he did. And again, a very athletic, mobile seven foot one guy. He was able to finish in transition. Uh, he was able to finish on, uh, around the rim. He got plenty of dunks in his career. It wasn't the only thing that he could do to, to shoot post fades, uh, but it was definitely what he was known for. Uh, now in Indiana, uh, over his career with the Pacers, I said he averaged 16, about 16 points and seven and a half rebounds. Uh, but this is where he did kind of get in reputation as being somewhat of a soft player. Uh, in 1981, uh, Jack McKinney of winning time fame, the former Laker coach, uh, takes over. And the, the Pacers make the playoffs for the first time in their NBA uh, history. But Edwards does not play very much against the Sixers. He he barely plays against that big front line of Caldwell Jones uh, and Daryl Dawkins. Uh, I think he averages like just seven points a game. And that was – it was interesting because – you know, he, they, they, he played a lot during that season and McKinney just didn't figure him to be a viable matchup against Philadelphia and he didn't play him and they got humiliated in both games. So it's hard to tell who was right, who was wrong there. And that was kind of the, the unceremonious swan, swan song uh, to his career in Indiana. He was dealt shortly thereafter. Now, was he on now it, to bring up winning time again, as as you know, as we always do, uh, there's an episode where McKinney comes back and is you know talking. You know, he meets up with Paul Westhead at the diner, and he's talking about how he's going to kill him and all that. Is is James on the team at that time? Did he? He's on the team. I don't know if he played in that game. Okay, I I don't recall if he played in that in that game at LA where they lost by a basket. Um, I. I mean, it shouldn't take me long to figure it out, but I don't recall offhand. Yeah, you do that, and I'll I'll uh, do this next thing here. Uh, so James has the the be- actually the best game of his entire career as a Pacer. He got he does it against the Portland Trail Blazers uh, in February of of eighty one. He gets he has a thirty nine point game, uh, ten rebounds, four block shots. It was just a a, a hell of, hell of an effort. Uh, unfortunately, the Pacers would lose that game, one thirteen, one oh nine, because basically James was the only one who did anything that night. And uh, and wow, this Blazers team with basically no one uh, was able to able to win this game with uh, Kermit Washington, Calvin Nat had twenty three points, Michael Thompson with nineteen, Kelvin Ran- Ramsey, not Ramsey, but Ramsey, and Jim Paxton both chipped in with fifteen and seventeen. Tom Owens, the man that was infamously traded for Michael Jordan. Tom Owens. Yeah. I didn't know that. Tom o- the, So the Bulls traded. The Bulls traded. Uh, well, yeah. Well, what happened was, yeah, the Bulls traded uh, to, excuse me, the man that was traded for Sam Bowie, not Michael Jordan. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I, I, I am sorry. I messed that up. But yeah, yeah. That's a big mess. The, Bla- the Blazers <laughs> traded uh, Tom Owens to Indiana several years prior to that for their 1984 first round pick, which wound up being the second pick in the draft. So it, let me rephrase. It was the pick that could have been Michael Jordan and wound up being Sam Bowie. Again, 
All right. Yeah. As for as for that winning time episode that you referred to, I think we both had our wires crossed a little bit. Uh, it was the following season after he got traded, uh, that 81-82 season early on. Okay. So Edwards was no longer on the team. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. That would have been a fun little story. At least it would have been fun for you and me, uh, or you and I. So then he uh, he is going to wind up going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. He signs as a free agent, but Keith, there's some rules in place in the in the in the early '80s that make things different for free agents. Well, un- unspoken rules, and anyone that's listened to our podcast for any amount of time will hear me talk about that uh, <laughs> that Bob McAdoo to Detroit trade. But that ultimately started as a sign in trade because. Um, ML Carr went to leave to, uh, or was it Chris Ford went to leave uh, Boston to sign with, or went to leave Detroit to sign with Boston. And for him to do that, they had to work out a, a larger deal because free agency wasn't real free agency back then. Uh, when a free agent left to sign with another team, that other team had to agree to it and be compensated. So these generally almost always worked out to be sign and trade deals. And so yeah, it, it look. This wasn't an earth-shattering deal at all. the the uh, The Pacers and the Cavs agreed to a, a first-round pick swap, and I think the the Cavs threw in a third-round pick. Is what ultimately happened. Okay, well, that's interesting. The Cavs is a, is where things are going to get really interesting. When we we mentioned earlier, he gets traded for Adrian Dantley. He has a connection there. Well, he has a much larger connection here in Cleveland with future teammates and a future coach. Yeah, so he, he this is actually his shortest stop, uh, at least while he was still in his prime years. The Cleveland Cavaliers, when he got there, uh, had had this new coach by the name of Chuck Daly, uh, and they had a center coming off of his rookie season by the name of Bill Ambeer. So Jim James Edwards signing with the Cavs, Chuck Daly actually pushes uh, Bill Ambeer back to the bench where he had started as a rookie. And actually made him made Lambier expendable in the eyes of uh, Cavs management. So, you know, shortly before his second, well, before the trade deadline of his second season, uh, Lambier gets traded to the Pistons because you know he's just a backup center now. He they don't deem him uh, as a building block anymore because James Edwards essentially took his spot. And because James Edwards was a much much better scorer than Bill Lambier, he could create his own shot, as I've already gone over. And that kind of that was the thing that got the attention and sold the tickets. Never mind, Lambeer was still a better player, far better defensive player. Uh, but yeah, you know, in a very weird way, James Edwards coming to the Cavs sets up the Detroit Pistons uh, for for their championship run. Well, as you mentioned, it's a pretty short, pretty short run in Cleveland. He's going to wind up uh, being traded to the Phoenix Suns for Jeff Cook and a first round pick. And, uh, well, Keith thinks they're going to get really interesting here in Phoenix. I'll let you take this one. Okay, well, his time in Phoenix wasn't all bad. It actually starts out pretty well. Uh, Phoenix, when James Edwards gets there, is one of the top teams in the Western Conference, uh, particularly in 1984. Uh, The Phoenix Suns make a run to the conference finals, and... Yeah, you know, James Edwards was a big part of that. He averages 17 points in the first round against Portland uh, on 60-some percent shooting, uh, highly efficient. 
not so great of a series against uh, Utah and the man he was traded for, Adrian Dantley, but they do win the series and they go to the conference finals. They actually take a couple games from the Showtime Lakers in the conference finals. And James Edwards averages, uh, he's still averaging about 15 points, shooting about 49% from the field. He had a very good series uh, going up against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And that was really the highlight of his time in Phoenix because after that, um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, I don't think many of our listeners know about this, but the, the Phoenix Suns in 1987, right before their major renaissance, uh, suffered a major, major drug scandal where 13 people uh, were indicted on a trafficking, well, via RICO charge, were indicted on uh, charges related to cocaine and drug trafficking, and there were allegations of, of point-fixing uh directed squarely at James Edwards, which were ultimately nothing was ever proven. Nothing was even ever substantiated. It was just one guy making an offhand comment about something he alleges James Edwards said, but nothing was ever, uh, nothing ever came of it. And ultimately uh, James Edwards was one of the current uh, Phoenix Suns charged uh, in that indictment. Uh, Any number of Suns were that had previously played for the team were charged. And there was also, I think, a, a club owner, uh, a restaurant owner. It was a whole group of people that, that were roped into this uh, this cocaine trafficking uh, charge. But no, I don't think any former players uh, ever even went to trial. I, I Some people did. I don't, it wasn't any actual NBA players, but all the same, Uh, A lot of players got exposed for having drug problems. Uh, James Edwards, uh, to his credit, was never really uh, exposed at all. Uh, The only thing he admitted to was smoking marijuana, at which point the NBA, you know, sent him to rehab or put him on rehab for a year for marijuana. And the entire thing got expunged as as soon as he completed the program. So they, they weren't really out to get him, but the result of all that, obviously, is the Phoenix Suns come up, come out looking very, very badly in all of this, and they just want to get rid of anybody and everybody that that touched a basketball in a Phoenix Suns jersey uh, between 1986 and 1987. And James Edwards is certainly one of them. And they they essentially sent him home, and then they trade him at the deadline. Uh, he Edwards comments that he was trying to to master this new game called Legend of Zelda. <laughs> the time he got a phone call uh, telling him that he was traded to the Detroit Pistons for what well, I, I don't even remember what they got for him. Was it Ron Moore in a second round? Yeah. Ron Moore in a second round pick. It was basically the Phoenix Suns basically gave away a, a, a very good offensive center for nothing simply to get rid of him. And that really wound up being a, a big, 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 big uh, deal for the Detroit Pistons. People just didn't know it yet. That second round pick, if you're interested, became Richard Dumas. Uh, but yes, that I is I, that is a, it's just an insane, insane story. The uh, the 80s in cocaine in the NBA were just it was so prevalent. Um, and I cannot recommend listening to the Death at the Wing podcast any more than I. I mean, I'll recommend it a million times over. Just finish this episode first, please. But then check out Death at the Wing. It is hosted by Adam McKay, who uh, 
directed all the winning time episodes uh anchorman vice all these great movies the big short uh he narrates it and he put it together and it is phenomenal it goes through uh basically it talks about uh this son's thing here and len bias spencer haywood uh, a lot of the stuff that that uh that went on in the 80s with with the nba and and drugs and it's really interesting uh but yeah anyhow uh james is a piston now yeah, mid uh, trade deadline deal. Uh, trader Jack McCloskey does it again. Is really his the last uh, real theft of his career was getting James Edwards uh, from the Phoenix Suns for nothing. And man, it, it's interesting because this is the first time in James Edwards' entire career where he is now a full time backup. Uh, he went to a team with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on it, but ne- almost never got to play his backup role because Kareem got hurt, and then when he finally got healthy enough to play they traded him so this was really the first time in his career where his his scoring numbers dipped below double figures but it wasn't because he wasn't as good in Detroit in, in my estimation he was actually better uh it, it's just that he wasn't getting the same amount of minutes that the Pistons were the bad boys at that time they were a very deep team they were trying to make a run to the championship so, you know, he goes from being a double-digit scorer to, to a guy scoring five points in 13 minutes. He was the last guy in their rotation, uh, you know, behind Lambeer and Rick Mahorn and John Sally and Dennis Rod, just all of these talented bigs. I, I will say the reason he got they, that they went and got him uh, was essentially his low post game because that's the one thing that the bad boys really lacked was a guy you could throw the ball to on the block and he would go and get a bucket for you. Uh, Adrian Dantley was their solution to that. But when Adrian Dantley went to the bench, they didn't have a guy to fill in uh, for that role. And that was essentially James Edwards. And when, when Dantley went to the bench, uh, James Edwards would come in and they would throw him on the, uh, the ball on the block when, when the game started to to slow down. And he was really effective against uh, uh, Boston. He didn't have a really productive 88 playoff run, but what he did have, he had 50, uh, I want to say he averaged over uh, about nine points uh, coming off the bench against the Celtics in the conference finals, shot over 53%, uh, scored 15 points in the uh, game six clincher. The the whole bench played well in that game, but Edwards was certainly part of it. And it it was just, he was somebody that would else that would make Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish work on defense when Adrian Dantley went to the bench. Uh, That was really his value uh, to the Pistons, which he, he was really the odd man out on that, or really the oddball on that bad boys team because there was all these rugged uh, athletes that were known for playing tough physical defense. James Edwards at the time was seen as one of the softest guys in the entire league. Uh, and it was almost comical because he was an asset for the bad boys because of his ability to slow the game down with his post play and make the other team's best players work on defense. And that was his contribution to wearing them out instead of, you know, being a competent defender. So in 1989, it's more of the same. Uh, James Edwards uh, averages a little bit more. He's, he's playing a little bit more. He's averaging 16 and a half minutes, scoring seven points a game. Uh, he, their entire run to the championship, they don't really need him except for the Bull series. 
he was critical in those games when the Pistons uh, lost two of the first three to Chicago. Uh, games four, five, and six, uh, Edwards averages 12 points a game off the bench each time. Uh, Lambeer really struggled in that series, and James Edwards really picked up the slack for him. And in my opinion, that was a that was a big deal. Uh, it was a it's a small thing if you look at it on a box score, but Ed, Edwards really that was maybe Bill Lambert's worst series, that eighty nine series against the Bulls. And Je, Je, Edwards came in and they didn't lose a beat. And but that's really all they needed for him him in that eighty nine run. So you're thinking eighty eight and eighty nine, Edwards is kind of like a passenger on this great, great team. And he he isn't really making a, a major difference, but that would all change. Ironically, as Edwards is aging into his mid thirties, uh, he's actually about to get a much much larger role. So, Mike, you're on mute. Oh, okay. As you mentioned, yes, nineteen ninety is going to have uh, a much much bigger role, especially uh, when it all comes down to it in the NBA Finals. Uh, he's, he's playing, he's averaging, uh, uh, what is it? 15 points a game. I thought it was, I, I was looking at the wrong thing. Sorry. Let yeah, me, so, let me, let me zoom up here. So, so this is what happens. 14, uh, 14 points a game. As the Pistons are, are celebrating their 1989 championship, their first one ever, uh, the NBA is holding its expansion draft and Rick Mahorn is the second player taken. Uh, he goes to the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's the draft between the um, Minnesota Timberwolves and the Miami, uh, excuse me. Yeah, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Orlando Magic, excuse me. Orlando had the first pick. They passed on Mahorn for ex-Piston Sidney Green. And the Timberwolves jumped all over Mahorn because they knew he wouldn't play for them, but they figured they'd get a first-round pick for him anyway, and they were right. So the Pistons lose their starting power forward, Mahorn, they're one of their two starting bigs along with Lambeer and they get nobody to replace him. They have no way to replace him. So the, the Pistons lose a spot on the, on the depth chart with the, but that also means as James Edwards moves up. So essentially James Edwards and, and Bill Lambeer are two starting centers at the same time. Uh, Lambeer is really the center on uh I would say Lambeer is more of the center on defense and Edwards is more of the center on offense because Lambeer could space the floor. Uh, excellent outside shooter, but it, it was really interesting to see how that all gelled, uh, especially when they added Dennis Rodman as a starter midseason. So you had Lambeer, Edwards, and Rodman as your three, four, five. Uh, and that sounds, uh, it, I know it, that sounds in your head if you know anything about any of these players. It sounds like a spacing nightmare, but man, they really, really made it work. And James Edwards goes from being, you know, the ninth guy off the bench to being a starter and actually a go-to guy in the post because they wound up moving Aguirre to the bench. So Edwards is now their only low post player in the starting lineup. And at age 34, his his numbers jump right back up. He, he averages 14 and a half points, uh, shoots 50% from the floor, plays all 82 games, starts 70 of them. And as impressive as, as that is, uh, he he breaks double figures in that 1990 season uh, 69 times. Uh, that is 42 more than he did in 1989. Uh, he was just a a model of consistency for that Pistons team uh, that whole 1990 season. And in the in the playoffs, that continues. He goes up against his old 
Pacers team. He's the second leading scorer, averages 16 points a game. Uh, the second round against the Knicks, which is easily, easily the best series of his career, goes up against a young Patrick Ewing, uh, first team All NBA Patrick Ewing, and just shreds him uh, offensively. Uh, Ewing gets his, but Edwards just makes him work so much in that series. He leads the Pistons in scoring, <laughs> averages over 19 points a game, uh, and just 2.6 rebounds, which <laughs> that has to be an NBA record. I don't know if any starting center has ever averaged 19 points and two rebounds in a playoff series. <laughs> it almost looks like a typo. But they didn't need that, though, because they had Rodman and they had Lambeer to get the rebounds. What they needed from Edwards was to make Patrick Ewing play defense, and he did He did exactly that. Uh, has his career playoff high, 32 points in game two. One of my favorite Pistons bad boys playoff games of all time, by the way, because he just works over Patrick Ewing. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't a blowout either. They needed all of those points from, from James Edwards to win that game. But this, yeah, it's at age 34, uh, James Edwards has almost like a renaissance season where he's he's playing on the NBA's best team as a starter, and he's like their go-to guy in the post. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, and, yeah, he goes to the finals against the Blazers, averages, uh, I think, 14, 14 and a half points a game. Uh, very much a factor in that series as well, especially with Rodman getting hurt and not playing a whole lot. And... Yeah, it's almost night and day, his role between the 89 and 90 teams. Uh, especially uh, as Pistons fans, we look back on those teams almost like they're the same team, the, the, the back-to-back NBA champions. But they were very, very different. Uh, even though they're only missing one player uh, from one year to the other, uh, the roles that each player had were very, very different uh, in 1990 than they were in 1989. And James Edwards is certainly the biggest difference. Well, yeah, I mean that's gonna that's gonna do it for the 1990 season. And uh, but 1991, I'm just looking at his playoff run here in '91. Yep. He, he actually had a pretty good run in '91 too. Yeah, at uh, age 35 against the Celtics and the and the Hawks, he kind of cooled off against the Bulls in the conference finals. But but he was he had a couple 18 point games, two 18 point games against. Uh, the Celtics. He had a 19 point game against the Fal- uh the, not the Falcons. Jesus, that's my other job. Against Hawks. the Haw- the Hawks in the first round, uh, had a hell of a run. Yeah, especially with the Pistons as banged up as they were in 1991. The one one of the few guys that actually stayed healthy was James Edwards, <laughs> being being one of their oldest players. I think he might have actually been their oldest player at that point. And at age 35, he he starts 70 games. Uh, averages double figures, and as you said, he is a very productive playoff run for the first two rounds. Uh, once again, uh, makes Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish work in against Boston in the second round, and he kind of falls fat, flat on his face in the conference finals against the Bulls. No one played very well against the Bulls, other than uh, maybe Vinnie Johnson, I think, had a pretty good series, but for the most part, it was a disaster. And I unfortunately think that that the smell of uh, the stink of that series kind of stuck to James Edwards because Pistons management probably looked at him as a guy that was making maybe a little bit too much money for a 35 year old, a guy that was a total non-factor and in them getting swept in the, in the conference finals. And I think maybe that was their motivation to move on uh, and find some younger, cheaper talent, 
which is kind of sad to me because I think James Edwards had one good year left to give. Um, yeah, and I, I, I agree. And we will get to that in just one, one second here. I do want to mention, though, uh, James had the, his best Pistons game uh his best game as a piston in 91 during the regular season he had a 30 32 point game 11 rebound uh against the nuggets in a um 118-94 win uh, again against paul westhead's nuggets uh, also hey. of time fame winning time coming back again and uh michael adams was on that team of course former piston yeah. um, and this game was uh at this was the game at denver i believe yes uh yes wasn't greg anderson yeah. a piston at some point in time too cadillac oh yeah cadillac yeah anderson. that's what i thought exactly yeah wow there's so, a couple of former pistons on it marcus liberty so, also uh played for the pistons for a small amount the, of the the flip side is that the game that the pistons played against the nuggets in detroit dennis rodman had his career high in scoring <laughs> uh 34 points and 23 rebounds uh the, the paul westhead nuggets uh were were just not very good they they just yeah ran up the score faster than everybody else, but they would score 120 a game and they would give up 130. Well, uh, as you kind of alluded to, you know, things are going to, James might be a little bit too expensive. So the Pistons are going to move on from him. They're going to trade him to the Clippers for Jeff Martin. Uh, Keith, what's your favorite Jeff Martin game? Uh, he never played for the Pistons. So I, didn't <laughs> Actually, think so. I, don't, I don't think he played in the NBA period after, he was traded. I think they cut him and he just never found her. I'm guessing he went overseas or something. I'm not sure. But it was basically they just gave him away because they they wanted to dump his salary. And look, it worked out for the Clippers for, for one year. Uh, Larry Brown takes over midseason. Uh, he drives the Clippers to the playoffs for the very first time in their franchise history. And James Edwards is a pretty decent part of that. He's averaging 20 minutes a game. Uh <laughs> He's not a starter for Larry Brown. That's he's the opposite of a Larry Brown type player. Uh, but you know, he's still playing a role on that team in 1992 at age 36. Uh, they do lose in the first round of the playoffs, but they do take the jazz to the the, the limit. Uh, Edwards doesn't play a huge role, but he does play. And this, this is really the end of his role as in the NBA as a, uh, a full-time player. Yeah, and he's going to uh, – he's so he's only with the Clippers for that one season. He's going to wind up signing with the Lakers. He'll play two two years there. Uh, nothing nothing spectacular. Yeah, he's, he's a 12th man for two years, a, a yeah. deep bench guy that they never really need to use him because there's really – they don't really have any injury issues in the front court for, for those two seasons. Like DeVos is pretty healthy. Olin Campbell's pretty healthy. So he, he, they ne he's never forced uh, – they're never forced to give him time. And then he goes to a very forgettable season in Portland at age 39, where he plays even less 28 games to be yeah, shoots horribly uh, just, and you think his career is over from there, but not so fast. Uh, the, the 95, 96 Chicago bulls uh, on their quest to bring along as many former bad boys as possible. Apparently yeah. John Sally. Uh, yeah. Dennis Rodman and John Sally. And they, yeah. It tickles me to this day that uh, Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson wanted James Edwards on their team for at age forty, uh, because <laughs> even even at that advanced age for for a basketball player, he still had that that low post fadeaway. 
could not do really anything else. But if you threw him the ball in the block, if you just needed one or two baskets in, in a game and they were key baskets, you could still throw him the block. It was like Kareem's skyhook almost. If you just needed that needed that one bucket, uh, he could they the Chicago Bulls still felt that James Edwards could give them that one bucket uh in a pinch if they really needed one. And he really doesn't play for them uh that much. And and when he does, he doesn't play much better than it better than he did in Portland. But I, I wanna say his last um hit the last basket of his career comes in the second round uh in a pretty critical game four at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. And the 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 Bulls do win that game. I, I wish I could tell you. I went back and watched the game just to see if if Buddha's final bucket was a post fadeaway. It, it was not. Uh, the defender actually played him for the for the fadeaway, and he ducked under and got a little scoop shot. I, so it, it wasn't like a fairy tale ending to it. But yeah, the, James Edwards doesn't play at all for the Bulls in the third or fourth rounds, and. You know, he gets a ring out of the deal. The Bulls win the championship, so Buddha gets ring number three. But after the season's over, at age 40, he finally calls it a career. Well, there you go. That that wraps up James Edwards. Um, although I, I do want to do a little something a little special here because James is our buddy. James Edwards, the Pistons guy, he has a new podcast coming out. Him and Vince Goodwill, both both guys, former guests on our team, it's called the Detroit Players Podcast. Uh, it's going to be on. It's it, going to be. Is, uh, wow, this is basically a, a Bad Boys and Beyond alumni. Yeah, uh, they have a little. They have a little. A uh, little clip here. I'll play it for for them just because because we love. Ask okay. Who their favorite news people were? You told us who you liked, and we went to work. People like the witty debonair James Edwards. The handsome, personable Vince Goodwill. Full editing there. My Detroit players. <laughs> I don't think they will be having Big E. Got that baby in a foul. Maybe Drew Bob. I guarantee James made this. And three, my Detroit players. I can totally see them getting Mason. <laughs> Detroit, who their favorite news people were. So there you go. Uh, you know, I've I've sort of talked to James a little bit about this. He 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 brought up on his on the old Bun and Cardigan show at the end that this is kind of be not just like a basketball thing, but kind of just going to be all about Detroit sports. So uh, I look forward to hearing it. And uh, I don't know, maybe you'll hear the Bad Boys and Beyond guys on there at some point. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. We're not saying anything. We eagerly will be checking our mailboxes. I am I am very happy for both of them. Yes. Well deserved. I wish them uh, nothing but the best of luck with their new podcast. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to to hear it. It is uh it's on Patreon, so uh, you'll have to be a subscriber to listen to it. But I, I think it'll be well worth the money. So definitely go check that out. Both both guys again. We're uh we're both we're both on our show. Go check out their episodes. They'll probably come back at some point. I, I don't think we've seen the last of James Edwards and Vince Goodwill on Bad Boys and Beyond. But uh, anyways, that's going to do it for James Edwards. We do have our two questions that I totally skipped over. What's his legacy? And can he play today? 
I say no, he can't play today. All right. So obviously, let, let me start with the first one. Buddha's legacy is 100% his role in the 1990 Detroit Pistons. Uh, he was a, a very much a, a journeyman, a productive journeyman, but a guy that was bounced around from team to team throughout most of his career, never really found a home until he came to Detroit. And while a lot of guys had better careers outside of the bad boys, had to sacrifice them, uh, their numbers, sacrifice their roles uh, to fit in with a contender, James Edwards he actually found more of a role in Detroit, even though his scoring wasn't as uh, prolific, uh, especially the 1990 Pistons. He moves right into the starting lineup. He's playing more than he did for like teams that won 20 games. And he's really proving himself as, as a guy that could play on one of the greatest teams of all time and start and be productive. Uh, that to me is his legacy is that that second uh, championship for the Detroit Pistons, because he made all the difference. They could have easily have fallen apart after they lost Rick Mahorn and he steps right in and not only fills the role, I think he exceeds the role. Uh, as for could he play today? I would say yes, with a caveat because he wouldn't be able to play the same way. Obviously teams don't throw it 90, 95 times to their backup centers uh, they they just don't do that. Like Bobon Marjanovic, uh, far less uh, mobile player than James Edwards. He still gets the ball in the post. Every, he look he still has an NBA job. He just doesn't play. James Edwards, I think, is has a way way better chance uh, of being a center in today's NBA because, as I said at the very beginning, it's not like posting up was all that he could do. He could run the floor. He was a big guy, a tall guy. Uh, his weakness was really defending the post, which you don't have to do as much anymore, which I think helps him. Uh, basically, he was a guy that could, he could set screens. He could pick and pop out to, you know, the 15, 16 foot area. Uh, he could be an effective role man. He could finish under the rim and he was pretty damn explosive for a 7-1 guy. So all of those factors, I think, lead, certainly lead me to claim that he could absolutely play today. It would just, he would just have to have a different type of career i just don't know if he has the i mean we know that he has the the fade and the turnaround fade and all that but i just don't know if he has the the speed to run up and down the court with today's player i i, I don't know well i mean it's kind of it, a lumbering it, guy look, we, went, we went over this with bill and beer bill and beer is the mother of all lumbering guys and beer and i advocated staunchly that he could play today because Brooke Lopez is as slow as molasses and he's making big money into well into his mid thirties because he can do two things really well. He can shoot the ball and he can defend the paint. Uh, and Lambeer was not a lot different there. Now, James Edwards. Yeah. He's certainly not a, a rim protector, but what he, he can do, he can run the floor. Uh, James Edwards is, was not plotting in my opinion. Uh, he was a pretty fluid runner for a guy at his height. Like, watching him run is kind of like watching Joel Embiid run. Not a great athlete, but he doesn't have to be at that size. I, again, I'm not I'm not saying James Edwards would be Joel Embiid. Uh, Embiid's certainly more explosive around the rim, but I think there were similar types of uh, uh, athletes, really. Yeah. No, I – I yeah. Uh, I, I, I see what you're saying. 
I, I really do, especially with Bill I, Lambert. I, 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 Bill, recall if, a lot, I recall a lot of instances seeing James Edwards finish two and one and three on one fast breaks. Uh, he, he was involved in transition a lot more than guys like Mahorn or Lambeer ever were. Like he, he could run the floor. Yep. Well, I, I, I think that you're probably right. <laughs> uh, so I, I'll just go, I'll just go with what, with you, with what you're saying. Um, but anyhow, that'll, that'll clear up the James Edwards episode for sure. Uh, and next week we will be coming back at you with another draft. We're getting closer to catching up with, Catching up with history, essentially. Uh, we've got the 2016 NBA draft next week. This is going to be an interesting one because it's got uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, and you've also got Brandon Ingram. You've got Pascal Siakam, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray. It's a weird draft. DeMontis Sabonis, it, it it feels like it's a full of guys that like are just now breaking out. Yeah. Um, ben Simmons, to me, is might be the most interesting pick we do because – you could argue that he would have that his career would have gone the way it had regardless of where he went to in the draft and you could also argue just the same that uh, his situation uh, kind of hastened his downfall and then maybe a different situation would play would play out better for him so i i don't even know uh what i would i, I don't even know what my opinion is on it yet i, I just know that i'm going to have to think about it for a while yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I know I'm going to draft him. Like if, if it comes down to me and it's one of my, because I just think that look, I, defensively, you can't You're argue. You're going to draft him one. I'm going to what? You're going to draft him number one. No, no, no. God, no, 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 okay, no, no. no. Well, then what do you say? I'm going to draft him. Oh okay. well, yeah. If he, if he is available at fourteen, yeah, I'm going to draft him. Okay. okay, I just what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he's going to go undrafted. I'm saying he's not going to go undrafted. I, I just think defensively. Well, no, I don't think he's going to go undrafted. Can't argue I, with that. I'm saying I don't know where he's going to go. Is my point. Fourteen, probably, maybe fifteen, because we might have a guest next week. We're not a hundred percent sure on that, but we may have a guest next week. Uh, but anyways, all right, we're getting we're getting into the weeds here. We'll see you guys next week with the 2016 NBA draft. Thank you for listening.